Let's roll. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready as well. Okay. Welcome back to Mixed Bag, uh, where Justin and I talk about everything going on in women's golf. Um, it's been a bit since him and I last met. It was I called it a Jin Young Co um, sandwich of victories, and we're back with to another Jin Young Co sandwich of victories. Um, so we're just going to go through the last three championships that went down. Yeah, is that cool? it, is, it sounds great. It has been a long time, but you know, this podcast will have a lot of the same narrative and results and commentary as the last one. So, yeah, I'm ready to fire whenever you are ready to fire when we can roll through the tournament recap and talk about maybe a few more exciting things at the end. And do you have a fun fact or do you need to go back and get one? I have two fun facts. One of okay, which you great. will most certainly know, one of which really isn't that fun, but I figured I can stump you on it. Okay, great. All right. Well, we'll start with the BMW ladies championship in Busan, Korea, where Jin Young Ko won. Uh, Lydia Ko finished T3 which I guess is just like for me, some foreshadowing with Lydia Ko's year winning the Bear Trophy as the lowest scoring average. Um, heading into the week, I thought Danielle King would have finished better, um, especially just given how she finished in 2019. And then of course, you know, there's also the off course storyline with her of her family going there a lot she has family there she also visited there a lot during vacation so anyway there were a lot of like off course stories that just kind of like teed her up for it but it was Jin Young Ko's tournament surprise surprise yeah a very worthy champion as we will say a lot you know in terms of interesting facts about the tournament I thought it was might have been Leona McGuire or someone tweeted or put it on Instagram that you know once they landed they still had about a six hour bus ride to the oh event wow. or to the resort. So a lot of effort for the players to get there to, you know, unfortunately, as we talked about the Asian swing kind of fell apart. So this was the Asian swing, but you know, you had a limited field event. There was a lot of TV coverage. Unfortunately for me, it's on from, you know, midnight to 3am. So you don't yeah. get to catch it. And you see a little bit of replay, but I give them credit. They can, they, they persevere. They had the event. It was a, a pretty good leaderboard, an incredibly worthy champion who played exceptionally well um, and won. And, you know, that was kind of the, the Asian swing that was supposed to be multiple events and kind of a fall series that became a, a one-off event, but credit to Jin Young Ko and we'll get more into that later, but you're going to ask for my rating. I'm going to yeah. keep it nice and simple and keep it moving. I gave this event a 4.0. Yeah. It's a, I think that's fair. It's an event. It existed. A great player <laughs> won. It had, you know, on the other side of the world, and you couldn't get to watch a lot of it on TV. And unfortunately for us, in our situations, that just is what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. It kind of like check the box and we move on. Right. So there was a like a two week break, I think. And yep. uh, we had the Pelican Women's Championship at Pelican Golf Club. Uh, Nellie Corda won. So, uh, but with that, Jinyoung Co finished T6. Um, something else I noticed about this, about the leaderboard, it was just really strong. Lydia Co finished T2, as did Seon Kim and Lexi Thompson. I think Brooke Henderson finished fifth. So it was just a really strong showing. Um, a DT, a shock, 
who is from India and she was kind of like the Cinderella story of the Olympics. She finished T6. So it was exciting to like, just see her continue to succeed. Um, the only other thing that I had noted was the Lamborghinis for everyone. Just giving them away. They're, they're giving away Lamborghinis like like they're giving away Chick-fil-A sandwiches at, a, at an event. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Sue o, yeah, Sue O, Austin Ernst, and Pavarisa Yotuan. I definitely said that wrong. But they all won two-year leases on the cars. I'm curious, like, who is going to follow through on the leases and drive them? Because that just doesn't seem like a very smart decision. <laughs> Well, there's also massive tax implications. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's massive insurance costs to insuring a Lamborghini, not to mention the fact that there's probably a good chance you can't put a set of golf clubs in there unless it's in the passenger seat. Like, it all sounds good. And I think I saw a video of Austin Ernst maybe driving one maybe on Wednesday or Thursday because I think she made it in the Pro-Am. But Oh, my gosh. The it's kind of like when you go to an event and they give out a gift card, like how many of those gift cards are ever actually turned in? Sure. They can put a lot of publicity and it was cool and it got a lot of social media traction, but what are the odds that any of those three players ever parked that Lamborghini in their driveway? Oh, I know. Me, it just doesn't make any sense. Like it, it'd be a lot more functional if you want a Honda pilot. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, and I even think I saw this week there was a Porsche on one of the holes. And I'm like, why is this a tactic that we're going with? Right. They should just win money. Win money. Give more money. Out of the money. You know, like hitting a slot machine. You win money, they take the tax out, and they hand you a check. That's much more rewarding than you win a Lamborghini lease. I don't know. Can you sublease a Lamborghini that you won? Like, these are the questions that I have. But, yeah, the tax and insurance costs, to me, just make this totally unviable. But, yeah. Yeah. But I do like this event. I like this event a lot, actually. M- me too. Um, I like this course. It looks like it's in awesome condition. Uh, mm-hmm. Their head pro, Justin, actually was at the Solheim Cup working oh. with uh, Brittany Altamore. So I talked to him a lot. He was a great guy and was hyping up the event. Um, you touched on, you know, the field. And then you have a playoff with Nelly and Lydia Ko and Se Young Kim and Lexi. And the way it ended, um, I know there were some TV issues that Brittany Lincecum and some other players talked about just in terms of, coverage interruption and coverage going in and out and Mm -hmm. things of that nature and sure it's not ideal I mean but there's technical difficulties in everything um but I think it's a great event I really like this event I think it's got good traction it's at a good point in the calendar leading into to kind of wrap up the season with a a Florida event I think this event's going places I actually saw you know, next year there is a purse increase for this event. I saw that too. I think it's, it's like it's, it's, it's only not, a two million dollar purse, or maybe or two point. It's yeah. not a huge purse, and I feel like this event maybe deserves a little bit more in terms of the purse. Right. Um, but it's a good event. It was a great field, great ending, great champion to see Nelly win. I gave this one a very solid four point five. Yeah. 
And I think that's one of the better ratings I've given a regular non-major event. I, I really like this event. I think it's got a good future, a good date, good location um, outside of Tampa. I, I think this event's a, a home run. I think the club supports it. There's a lot of connections to Augusta National with their membership. I think this event mm. is going places. And, you know, for the LPGA, you want as many domestic events that have a strong footing strong support and i feel like this event is checking off a lot of those boxes yeah i would think so um i would hope that a title sponsor would come onto this event and maybe just the golf course wants it to be the pelican because of their course i mean if they have a membership like that um and that might be the contributing factor that they don't want to partner. But like that, like we talk about the cars, it's like, well, instead of giving them these cars, why don't you give them more money? Because as we noticed with the CME, CME group is getting a ton of great publicity for raising the purse so that the winner gets the $2 million purse, the largest single prize in women's golf currently. So I just think like how, I don't know, mindset just continues to have to change, but, um, no, I thought it was a great event. I think again, I the one thing that I continue to think about that Andy Johnson mentioned on the fried egg today was how do you get more events out of Florida? Um, like big events. And it's like, you know, his suggestion was like, how do you get more events for the women on the West coast? Like they don't really have like a huge West coast swing. Um, especially if like Chevron's going to move away from the dinosaur. So that was just like something that I get, you know, you're like, gosh, another event in Florida. <laughs> so it's just something that like I, he said on their podcast that I listened to today. And I was like, it's a pretty solid point. Right. And they brought up too, just in terms of the timing, you, you had such a good event with a lot going on. And unfortunately, you know, people don't always necessarily associate maybe women's golf fans with NFL fans, but the NFL is such a coverage monster and they're yeah. taking away, you know, you have people watching it, whether it's, you know, CBS, Fox, it, it's hard to get eyeballs regardless of purse, the event, the winner, the storyline, all those things. Cause so many casual golf fans, I think of like, you know, my father who will watch LPJ events, and enjoy them and no players. But if the Browns are on, he's going to watch the Browns. Yeah. So it, it, it'd be nice if I think the LPGA needs to maybe look at some creative scheduling for some of these events. Maybe these at the end of the year are like Andy Monday, Tuesday, about. Wednesday. Right. It's tough though. Again, when on the East Coast, as you and I both know, when it's getting dark at five o'clock. Yeah. So the event, the event, especially in Florida, the event has to be done by 3.30 to leave time for a playoff, and you don't want it to carry over to Monday. So that really limits you, too. Are you going to have your featured event of the season with a $2 million purse end on a Friday at 3.30? That doesn't right. sound great either. Versus if it was a West Coast venue and maybe it ended at 8 o'clock Eastern time on a Sunday – Maybe that works a little bit, but, you know, in terms of the CME itself, I mean, my quick thoughts, and then you can, I mean, I think Tiburon's an okay venue and maybe that gets to trying to get stuff out of Florida. It's, it's very Florida golf. I've played down there. You know, it's, you'd like to maybe see it play a little tougher for an event of this magnitude with the, the best 60 players 
of the season, but the purse is awesome. The TV right. coverage was okay. Um, yep. Had a pre- pretty good leaderboard, you know, and, and Jin Young Ko was incredible. 63 greens in a row is Anna mentioned in our previous recording and she didn't hit a range ball or didn't hit many range balls or I don't know if she didn't hit any range balls or just didn't go through a full warm up, but it kind of sounded like she really just maybe chipped and putted and went yeah. to the first tee. Yeah. That's, I mean, it sounds like she was just trying to like save on to anything she could right. for the, for the golf course. Yeah. The tweet that Anna, which we can talk about shortly about Anna, but um, that she posted was that Steve Stricker holds the record for the most consecutive consecutive greens hit on the PGA tour this season with 35, which is seven more than anyone else on the PGA tour. And Jen Young co-finished her LPGA season hitting 63 straight. I mean, just insane. Yeah. Almost double. Unbelievable. <laughs> she, the last green she missed was the ninth green uh, in the first round. And then she hit 63 greens in a row. And sure. Do you maybe want to look at, could the golf course have played tougher whatever it's still a ball striking clinic it's yeah. unbelievable to think about to hit that many greens in a row i mean i could i was thinking about this say if they put you in a greenside bunker how many consecutive balls from a regular greenside bunker could you at least get on the green i don't know not don't that know. many i yeah. leave. <laughs> it wouldn't be long before i would leave one in there or blade yes. it across the green yes I feel like if I got one out of five, I would have felt great. (laughs) Well, you're you're selling yourself a little short there. But again, (laughs) 63 greens. I don't care where you're playing. You could go play an executive course where there's a par five. Right. You could play the cradle. You could play the cradle and it wouldn't matter. You'd never, most people aren't going to hit nine greens in a row, let alone 63 greens in a row. Yeah, absolutely insane. I, I, you know, to be frank, I mean, I was watching it and, you know, she starts leading by three, she starts leading by four and I'm just like, well, this is over. <laughs> like, she's not gonna, she's not gonna back down. So no. Yeah. But, and, and good on her. Right. And, and again, not to take anything away from her tremendous performance, but that gets to a little bit with the venue and you'll see these sure. events like this where you've maybe got a one or two stroke lead with three or four holes to go. And you don't feel like the tournament's in jeopardy because there's no challenging shots or dangerous shots or things you've got to traverse. And that right. takes a little bit away from the event. But it's a great event. Awesome purse. Credit to CME. Credit to Jin Young Ko. I gave this one a 4.4. Maybe that's a little high, but it definitely... You know, I don't think had the drama that the Pelican had, even though, you know, the money was raised and there was still a lot on, on the line with player of the year, but it was still a really good event. Yeah. And great to see it on NBC for the final round. Um, just getting women's golf on network coverage is great. And on a Sunday in football season. Yeah. So it's yeah. great. Um, I would say, what else did I have about it? I mean, it was, oh, uh, the trophy ceremony. I thought it was really cool that Jin Young Ko just had her transcriber nearby, but didn't really like, she didn't leave on her. She wanted to show that she has learned the language, wants to use her English language skills. And I thought that was really cool. And, sure. you know, props to her. So. And this has been mentioned a lot. Have you seen the Jin Young Ko where they do the mystery box on the LPGA Instagram? Yeah. Like, like that's the type of stuff that the LPGA needs to keep pushing 
and keep doing a strong job of because that's a great way to see someone's true personality shine when it's unfiltered. They don't know what they're reaching into to grab, touch, squeeze, whatever it was. And I think she really shined there. And I think this is another example of she's embracing, you know, not only just the global aspect of the tour, but, you know, the American audience as well. Totally. The, on NBC, they also showed her um, with her caddy. Is his name David Burt? Is that right? I don't know. I know the bad radio, um, but they did like the, how well do you know your caddy? How well do you know your golfer? And like, that was a great, like those things right. are so simple, but it's great. And they obviously have a really nice rapport. Um, so I think it's cool. The LPGA players seem really down to do that type of stuff. So I think it's, I think it's good. Um, right. but I, I think, think that, it's great for their brand. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, this leads us into the awards. Obviously, Jen Yanko won player of the year. Um, she, you know, she only missed one cut, 13 top 10 finishes and 19 starts, five wins. She has been number one in the Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings for 114 total weeks. And that is the second most in history behind Annika Sorenstam at 158 weeks. So she is definitely moving her way uh, up the history books also with the hall of fame points, um, player of the year, anything else yeah. you have to add about player of the year? <laughs> she's a total baller stud. Awesome. I mean, the thing I think that's interesting, I read about that, you know, she skipped the AIG women's British because mm. she used that natural kind of one month gap that presented itself in the schedule and really went to work on her golf swing, looked at a lot of film from previous seasons, worked really hard with her coach and to think of someone at the top of their game, yeah. skipping a major, you know, knowing that she needed to get some work in and this time allowed her to do that. So she got a kind of a refresh on the season because she was just kind of going along, not playing like she normally does. And then she came back after that break and it was just pedal to the metal, yeah. you know, and she smoked it. And this, a lot of credit to her to, to miss a major you would never see, I don't think you would ever see many players, re, male, female, regardless, that were in the top two or three in the world miss a major championship because they felt, I have work to do and there's a natural break in the schedule. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And I think someone had mentioned that, you know, Nellie, Nellie was really holding on to the beginning of the year and then like that was clearly the momentum change for Jen Young Ko. Um, despite Nelly continuing to play well, she was just, I think Nelly even said it, it's just like it's been the Jin Young Ko show. So, right. But I, I think it's hard to, I mean, Abby, you think about, we had a U.S. Women's Open in December. There's been so much yeah. golf from last June, July, or July when they started the drive on yep. in Toledo all the way to now and ending with the CME and, you know, call it 17 months or so, 16 months. That's a lot of golf, a lot of major championships. I think there was a lot of players, if you look at performances, and you throw in Solheim Cup for some of these players, a lot of players that were kind of running on fumes. The Olympics. And, and yeah, the Olympics. having to do the Olympics. <laughs> right. Flying to Japan for the Olympics. And then you look at players flying to Korea for the one Asian swing event there was a lot of demand and a lot put on these players. And I think Jin Young Ko managed her schedule the best yeah. to have this huge push towards the end where there were still all these events, 
still all this money, still all this points. And, you know, she did what she did to, to garner the player of the year awards. And, you know, we can talk about the, the point system and we can get into Nelly in a little bit and comparing and contrasting them, but she played awesome. Yeah. Well, we have Lydia Ko, who played in 20 tournaments. Jinya Ko played in 19. Lydia Ko was the Vare Trophy winner, which is the lowest scoring average. Um, that person does get Hall of Fame points, which is really interesting. Um, big comeback year for Lydia Ko. At the end of 2019, she was ranked 38th in the world. This year, she ends at number five. Um, so, you know, she big year for her. Really nice comeback. I also saw she won like another award. I can't remember the name. Oh, I think it might be a Heather Farr award um, for just like pretty, it kind of reminded me of like Miss Congeniality. Like she was just a very well-liked player on tour. And you could also see that during the trophy ceremony at the sure. CME, like just seems super supportive. She definitely has had a really good mindset shift. She was so young when she came out on tour. She was an amateur when winning the Canadian Open. Like, it's just cool to see her come into her own. She's matured a ton, it seems like, um, and is now, you know, continuing to play well and having that comeback. Right. And she was part of kind of that early season resurgence where she and yeah. Jordan Spieth and Matsuyama and these guys yeah. and players that hadn't won in a while won. So I will say in terms of we love a joke about bad radio, I think Madeline Sagstrom won the Heather Farr Award. Okay, yeah, I know. I'm like, this is bad radio. <laughs> so, like, this don't is have bad radio. Facts, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Lydia by the did seat win of our something. Okay. I don't, she won, like, I'm going to look it up. She won yeah. some <laughs> other, like, fan or uh, player voted award. Yeah. I'm bad. Yeah, like <laughs> need to need to fill the airstream right now with, right. with some jargon while I look this you're, up. You're the expert. Uh, the one award we didn't really touch on that I think at least deserves 30 seconds is Hannah Green winning the Aon Risk Reward. She got a million dollars. You know, I looked it up today. Hannah Green's career earnings were about 2.3 million. So winning a million yep. dollars, pretty Crazy. impressive. And she's a sub. She had two career wins one of which is a major. So this is a pretty established Australian player. And to, to win a million dollars for that, you know, challenge contest throughout the season, I mean, it's awesome for her. All right, I'm getting my facts straight. Lydia Ko won okay. the Founders Award. And it okay. is named in honor of the 13 founders. And it's given to an LPGA member who, in the opinion of her playing peers, best exemplifies the spirit ideals and values of the LPGA through her through her behavior. You can just tell like she is very well liked. And yep. I think it's very fun to watch her. It's fun to watch her on social media and it's fun to watch her with other players. And obviously then on top of it, like having this comeback year was great. Sure. Another word we do is better for her being involved and her being successful. Yes. yes, absolutely. The other award that we do need to talk about is Patty Tabatanikit um was the Rolex rookie of the year. Um she won a major. She um yeah. she was the first tour rookie to win a major since Julie Inkster in 1984. Um she just came out and that to yeah. me feels so long ago <laughs> it does. yeah it feels forever ago and the funny thing about that is and before we i did a little research this week is you know i didn't really realize how good a season she actually had because of so long ago she had 10 top 10s she's up to 13th in the rolex world rankings 
and, and you know, finished fourth in the, the CME points. I mean, she had a great, great season. That win just feels so long ago, and I think a lot of that is just what we touched on. It's been such a long golf season, yeah. not just in the LPGA, but golf as a whole. So these events, you know, the first major of 2021, uh, you know, being the um, the ANA feels a long time ago. And that doesn't take anything away from what she did. She carried that momentum on and had a great season uh, against a strong rookie class. I mean, Leona McGuire was in that, that group as well. So there was some tough competition, but Patty had it wrapped up a few weeks ago and, you know, seems to be well on her way to being a, a player to contend with for years to come. Your your girl Leona almost had it. You know, she's getting there. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> she was fifty to one to to win the the CME and I, I liked my position at fifty to one with one round to play, but we don't need to turn this into a full fledged LPJ gambling podcast quite yet. We'll get there. We'll give you a segment because, like, I don't know anything about gambling. I might have to, like, call Brendan in to just, like, right. explain things. Um, right. But, yeah, we, we could do that someday. I think that's a good call. Um, right. So what else you got? I, that's kind of the LPGA, like, recap. I do want to do a, like, favorite moments of 21 and looking at 22 next next podcast. Sure. Um, no. What else you got? My only thing was, you know, we – I think we at least need to give some credit to the year that Nelly had. I mean, yes. I know she won none of the major awards. Yep. I touched on the point system a little bit. I like the point system. Some yep. people don't, you know, I, I always like to look at it. You know, Patrick Cantley was a PGA tour player of the year because he kind of came on late, but he didn't play well in any majors. Didn't really have that domain of a season. John Rahm played only won the U.S. Open, but played tremendously better. And then Cantley wins a vote, you know, of his peers. You know, who I'm, I'm much more about like merit and the right. point system more than anything. The, the point system might not be perfect. Everything has sure. its flaws. It doesn't account for a gold medal, but that's golf in general. Like if you win an event on another tour, that doesn't yeah. count for you either. You get world ranking points. You know, Nelly benefited tremendously from the gold medal. No one is taking the gold medal away. I mean, it is a limited field. The bottom of the Olympic field falls off very quickly. We've talked about that, but it doesn't yeah. take away from her accomplishment. I think the one question I would have for you is when you look at, you know, Nelly's four wins with a major, if you ask Jin Young Ko, which whose season would you rather have? I just think majors are so important and build such a legacy and Hall of Fame points and how difficult it is to get to the LPGA Hall of Fame. I just wonder in a a private moment, not to cheat, to take anything away from Jin Young Ko, but would you rather have had the gold medal and the major, or would you rather have had all the wins stacked up in the player of the year? Yeah. I mean... I think I also think it like is different perspective too of playing like Nellie also has, you know, her sister and she has her brother who is a world-class tennis player. Her parents are also world-class athletes. Um, so she probably values the Olympics, maybe like maybe more. I don't know. Um, right. I think like they have seen their whole family as like such athletes. Like it, it's just a different thing, but personally i'd be like yeah major in a gold medal like i am player of the year <laughs> mm -hmm. um 
And I'll be curious if the LPGA evolves at all and adds the Olympics to their point system. Um, I think in order to continue to emphasize the importance of the Olympics to these players, like you have to continue to integrate it, making it in a good spot in the schedule when planning the rest of your schedule, including it in awards, including it in point systems. Um, I think that's, it's kind of like every year we learn something. Last year we learned about Sofia Popov and how her major victory wasn't going to give her any points for, you know, future year. This year, maybe we're learning, okay, the Olympics clearly need to count for more than just Rolex rankings. Um, so no, we'll it's see. interesting. I think the biggest hurdle there is just the the field and how the field I know. falls quickly when you're limiting the number of Americans, number of South Korean players. I think that that creates a problem. But yeah. you know, it's it's been a long a long golf season and it's coming to an end. I saw today on Twitter and the LPJ starts up again on January twentieth. It'll be here before we know it. I know. I but, know. I'm trying to see. Let me check my notes, make sure I went through all my, I have my fun fact pending. If there was anything, anything else that I missed for Abby as we try to put a bow around this wonderful experiment that we've put together. I know. I was trying to think, I mean, I think Rose Zhang probably won another college tournament between now and then. Like well, she missed, she missed one in Stanford's team. She she missed one, and Rachel Heck didn't play because they played in this. And they spirit. still won, right? And, and Stanford still won. Like yeah. the Twelve preview. Oh, the one thing I was going to say, which I think is, is exciting for golf, and Anna talked about this with crowds, is hopefully next year we get into a more normal season. You know, we had Q series. We have a regular schedule. It'll be the last uh, Chevron, ANA, Dinosaur, whatever you want to call it in California that I think there's a lot to celebrate, a lot to look forward to. And I think it'll be a a much more normal season, hopefully. And hopefully we get, you know, all the events in the schedule is, I don't know how closely you look at the schedule. The schedule is crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're in Singapore, they're back in California. They go to New Jersey, they go to Michigan, they, they go to North Carolina, they go to Europe. It's, it's a hectic schedule. But yeah. it's an ambitious schedule, but hey, the purses are raised. Purses are right, right. Which More trans- hours of TV. Yeah. So two fun facts for okay. you, trivia. We'll give you the easy one first. Since becoming a member of the LPGA Tour, you should know this. How many cuts has Jin Young Ko missed? I don't know. I'm going to have to make this up. She, okay, I, when I was looking at her bio, it said something about how she, like, turned pro in 2013, but came on the LPGA in 2018. That's so, correct. Yes. At least I, like, have some facts, right? right? Yeah. Um, so, clearly, she was playing on what would have been KLPGA? Right. Okay. So, just as an LPGA tour member, so since 2018, how many cuts has she missed? missed okay so this year i think she missed one uh that's 2021 i'm gonna go with eight here's my favorite stat she's won player of the year twice and she's missed two cuts 
ever. Two cuts ever? Two. Two cuts. What was the other one? It had to have been like 2018. Who knows? Who cares? Two cuts. Two cuts. That's insane. Yep. Oh my gosh. I wonder how that stacks up about around like anyone else who started in 2018. Yeah, what's the second? That's a great question. What's the second best number in that stretch? Two cuts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She wow. is a cash, a cash making machine. Yeah, I think I saw it. Is she like nine million since she got on tour? I, don't I think know. she is. Which like I know like pairs in comparison to PJ Tour, but still pretty strong. Okay. This All one right, you won't get. It's impossible. Can't be done. I don't even know how many tournaments are on the schedule for next year. I should have put this on there, but do you have any idea how many tournaments had their purses increase from 21 to 22? So let's just say there's, I don't know, 30 some events. Yeah. Bad radio, bad radio warning. Um, I know. Our facts tonight are just not as strong as usual. But any guess on how many purses are going up for 2022? I'm going to say 12. That's a good guess. Nine. Okay. That's solid. And some of them, as we've talked about in the past, are very significant, especially on the major championship side, especially with CME. But yeah. 12. That's all I got. Not 12. Nine. Nine out of 12. So. Nine out of 12. I mean, I'll take it. All right. Well, and we'll do. I think we'll do a deeper dive into like 22, what we're looking forward to, um, some sort of kind of like recap of 21, nothing crazy. We're not doing uh, the shotgun start recap that takes them. That's too much work. I can't do that. (laughs) We're going to to those guys. I can't. (laughs) We're going to put pen to paper. We're going to predict who's going to win each major. And we're going to predict who's going to be the player of the year. I don't know if we want to get really, really aggressive. We can decide who's going to be the rookie of the year. That'll take some like more that. expensive research. So maybe those major awards, who's going to win the five majors? Who's going to be the player the of the AI year? The Aeon Risk Reward. <laughs> we are not doing that. Yes, we are. We're 100% choosing who's going to win the Aeon Risk Reward. <laughs> okay. We are absolutely doing that. I, who would have thought Hannah Green? Good for her, though. Exactly. So you just pick a random name out of the top 30. Truly. Yes. (laughs) All right. I'm going to mark down that on my list too. So we're going to add the Aon risk reward that'll probably have a new sponsor. So yeah, I think that's perfect. We'll talk about the majors, do a little fun recap, quick recap and preview, and we'll be ready to roll. Nice. All right. Well, this podcast doesn't technically end. We do uh, we will now go into an interview, uh, a ladies of golf interview with mm-hmm. Anna Bullock, who is a LPGA tour player. She happened to stay at Justin's house during the 2021 Marathon Classic. It is a big reason we talked about it on the first Mixed Bad podcast. It's a big reason why Justin um, and I started chatting about doing an LPGA podcast, women's golf podcast. He, you know, became an avid fan of the LPGA and obviously was even more connected to the tour uh, once he had Anna stay with him. But do you have anything to say about this interview? We already did it. No, I think it's, it's great. I don't say a lot in it because I let you do your thing, but Anna's a big reason why we're here today. She is my wife and I's favorite 
LPGA player and one of our favorite people. And it's been fun to follow her career, her season so far. And we look forward to seeing her next year and hopefully big things to come. But it was fun to sit in on the interview and watch you guys interact. And she's got a lot of interesting things. She's got an interesting background, an interesting story coming yeah. in from Slovenia and going to Duke and win the national championship there. So, you know, I she's think be, it's a good listen. Yeah, maybe she'll be the Aon Risk Reward winner for 2022. If she wins a million dollars, she's never staying with Stephanie and I again. <laughs> That's true. That part is true. All so, right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Abby. Have a good one. You too. And as part of this episode, I obviously want to hear about how you met Justin and Stephanie too. But before we get into it, I, I just want to start with a simple like, when did you start playing golf? Why did you start playing? Is golf popular in Slovenia? Like, tell, tell me how you got into it. Yeah, so I started when I was about four or five. I got um, my first set of golf clubs for Christmas. I think it was in 2001. Um, I still have a picture of like me getting like this box with like golf clubs, but you know, like my parents started playing just before they got me my first set of golf clubs. So, and golf is not a very popular sport where I'm from. So my clubs were actually meant for somebody that was about like five feet tall and I was like five. So, um, (laughs) it was kind of like a fun start, you know, like I was holding my nine iron, like a driver, um, but um yeah somehow I started I got my first lessons um I hated it from the start you know it was way too slow for me um I was um like I was skiing every winter I played tennis in the summers I did track and field so all that stuff was you know way more intriguing for like a five-year-old um than golf so it took a while for me to actually like it (laughs) like I started winning like little like tournaments when I was like seven or eight, but I was still like, you know, this is boring. Like, what's the point in that? So, (laughs) but I like the trophies. (laughs) So I think that's where it kind of like got like, at least like intriguing. And then I started getting like more competitive, got into a national team. So, um, but yeah, I think it's like a pretty normal, normal start with like most kids, you know, that their parents take them with them on the course and then, you know, either like it or you don't <laughs> for sure I, I feel like I've heard so much about the national teams especially from female athletes who aren't in, from the United States um when in being on that team was that like what helped you decide to play go- uh, college golf in the United States or what what was it like being on that national team yeah I think I first started playing for the national team when I was 12 um, so I, I was like by far the youngest one at that time. Okay. Um, and kind of like started playing international tournaments like junior tournaments. And I didn't really know about like college golf until I was about like 15 or 16, I think. Like when the older, you know, friends were starting to, um, you know, from all over Europe, like I would hear about them going to the States to like to college and some of the people from the national team started um, like venturing over there. So I kind of like heard about that and I didn't really decide I was going to play college golf until like my junior year of high school. Wow. Cause I was kind of like, you know, not really knowing what it's like, it's kind of hard to decide you're going to just move to another continent. 
So um, <laughs> until I yeah. heard enough <laughs> stories that it was okay, you know, that it wasn't like scary or anything, I was kind of hesitant. But then I guess I was like, you know, like if I want to continue pl to play golf and, um, you know, school's important, especially being a woman, um, you know, I kind of like, that was the only way to combine the two. Yeah. And did you feel like, I mean, you had a really successful career at Duke. Was it the combination of the coaches? Was it you coming into your own? Was it you starting to like golf? Like, what was it that clicked for you when you got to Duke? Yeah, well, I started liking golf like way earlier. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it was like I finally had like all the resources like in one spot. You know, like I grew up 45 minutes drive from the nearest nine hole golf course that wasn't that great. Um, only having like a few legit golf courses in the entire country doesn't help either. And not having like the country, not having produced any like tour players before or anything, like you have very lim limited resources when it comes to like, just, you know, everything about golf, like performance, like um, coaching. Like I was fortunate that I was such a high level, like Alpine skier and I did other sports that like, I started going to the gym early on and like loving the gym. So I was kind of ready mm. for that part, but it was kind of like more of a self-discovery than like having like very set guidelines around that. So when I first, like when I finally came to Duke, I got like amazing coaching, amazing support from like everywhere, you know, it's like, they tell yeah. you like pretty much like, okay, like you have like school. Okay. You have tutoring there if you need help, but sports, like you have PTs, you have like trainers, um, you can get any help that you want. So I think that was, that was, that's what really made a difference for me, like having all those resources in one spot. And while you were at school, did you know that you wanted to go on and play professionally? I think I kind of like decided my junior year. Mm. I was still like leaving my options open. Like I majored in statistics. So I kind of had like a really solid backup plan. Yeah. But then like, I think it was like end of my sophomore year, I started realizing like, you know, like office work is really not for me. Like, I don't want to have a job and <laughs> I always wanted to be a professional athlete. So, um, and I had, you know, some really successful, um, like teammates, like before me and like playing with me, like Celine Boutier was just before me and Leona McGuire was my teammate for two years. And when I first like started playing with her in qualifiers, I was terrified. But then like a year later, you know, like I started shooting the same scores here and there. And I was like, well, maybe I could make it, you know, like if I can shoot the same score as Leona McGuire sometimes, like <laughs> I might be able to, you know, make it on the next level. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It was kind of like being exposed to like pretty much the best of the best um, and seeing that like I might be able to like compete with that. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, you like had a front row seat to the ladies who were crushing it this year. Oh yeah, um, and those two, that's awesome. I am. Um, I was. Was there anything like specific about Duke that you were that you were just like happy that you decided to go there between the schooling and golf? I mean, I didn't really look at other schools to be honest. Okay. Um, because I didn't know much about you know like anything University. in like, yeah anything about like schools over here, but um. So a friend of mine on the national team, um, his name is Tim Gornick. Um, he went to Duke and played on the men's team like quite a few years like ahead of me. So um, he was already back when I was kind of like, like middle of high school. So, you know, by talking to him and like, kind of like getting his experience, I was like, okay, like I'll check out Duke. 
you know, and that was it. Sure. Like, nice. it was more like, I'm not going just somewhere just to go. Like, yeah, if I get into Duke, fine. If I don't, I guess it's fine too. <laughs> yeah, <I> yeah. <laughs> nice. So how did you get on tour? Was it through Q School? Yeah, I played Q School um, the fall of my senior year. So 2019, because mm. um, I wanted to like, kind of like guarantee myself a status for once I um, graduated and turned pro, you know, like it would be such a waste of time to just sit around and wait to Q School for next year. And I'm so glad I did because there was no Q school last year. So um, it kind of worked out for me. So when you look at your bio on the LPGA website, it says your rookie year was 2021. Is that because of just all the changes with the pandemic? Yeah. So in 2020, I actually only had Symmetra tour status. Um, So I played on Symmetra, finished first on the money list, and then I got a very limited status um, on LPGA because of the pandemic. So I think my priority number was 356 at the start of the season. So I couldn't get into anything. I played a bunch of Monday qualifiers. And then finally, like at Kings Mill, I got a sponsor's invite from my sponsor, um, Barbasol. Mm. And I finished 16th, which reshuffled me into like pretty much a full status from then on. So I played kind of full time on um, LPGA since like, kind of like since June. Nice. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you have one solid week and that can make like the rest of your season. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, I mean, the odds weren't really in my favor. So, um, you know, like other girls that were in the same boat as I was, they decided to just play Symmetra for another year right. and, and yeah. get the status through that. But I was like, you know, if there's a chance, like I want to give it a shot. Like, I don't want to like feel like, you know, like after the season, you're like, well, like, what if I did that? What if it worked out? So I didn't want to have that ever, like in my mind that like, I didn't even try. That's so interesting. Cause I just spoke with Fatih and Fatih had a very similar situation to you. And she decided to go back to the Symmetra tour this year. She finished second for the race for the card. And so now she'll be on the LBJ next year, but like two completely different journeys, but like, it's going to work out, which is really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure you've enjoyed your time on the LPGA, but is there anything that you really learned in, in that first full year that you would tell yourself now? There's a lot of things. (laughs) I mean, you don't realize like how many things go into like, just like getting from tournament to tournament Mm. um like I'm glad like I'm pretty independent and I I'm okay with traveling alone but once you're on LPGA you're kind of like your own business you know it gets a little bit more serious like all of a sudden you're dealing with caddies like you're employing somebody all of a sudden you know um and there's like just like more that goes into it um more travel like I went to Europe this this year um like we I played Evian and then I went to um, Scottish and British. So I was renting sure. a car, driving on the other side of the road. Um, it's just like a lot of things that, you know, like you do for the first time. But um, I guess it's like one of those things where you kind of have to get like your first year in and then you're fine. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely like a huge learning curve. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can't imagine. And then like, obviously you shared that you have a, you have sponsors, so you also have to manage any expectations there. Oh yeah, for Um, sure. 
So it's, it's a big change, but I think one, one of the things you mentioned was travel and we do have Justin Cruz here from our Big Spat podcast. And we we're like joining the forces of the two podcasts for this week. I would love to hear about how you and Justin and his wife, Stephanie met. Um, and just what that was, that whole journey was like for you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, like being a rookie on LPGA, you're trying to like, kind of like spend as little money as possible and like travel and everything. So you're trying to like resort to host housing as much as you can. So I was fortunate that I knew pretty well the tournament director at Marathon Classic, Judd Silverman. And mm -hmm. I was like, hey, like, Judd, do you have anyone that I could stay with that week? So <laughs> he, I guess he reached out to Justin and Stephanie for me and like connected us. So that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, you can speak. <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty much exactly how it happened. <laughs> Steph and I reached out to Judd and said, we'd love to host a player that could benefit from housing. And it turned out to be a great experience. And Anna got to listen and answer all my endless questions. And, you know, Steph's a great host and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's, I've told the story before, but the coolest thing is you know, even like before we actually met Anna, you know, in the weeks before when we knew she, she was coming, you're following her on the leaderboard. And then after she stays with you for seven, eight days, you know, Steph is getting up in the middle of the night to check the Evian scores because you want to see how she's doing. And it's like you have such a vested interest in someone's success. And it's someone that you just met a few weeks ago. And I talked to you about that when we first started talking about this podcast, I said to have such an immersive experience and meet someone, you know, that you become so close with and still maintain contact with. It's really cool. And, you know, it's like you're living and dying every Thursday through Sunday with, you know, someone's performance, but it's fun. It's fun to shoot her a text message when she plays well, and it's fun to be supportive even when she doesn't play well. So no, it was a great experience. And Steph has already told her that she has to stay with us <laughs> next year for the event in Toledo, whether she wants to or not. <laughs> oh yeah. I already booked my room there. So, you know, I'm coming like, don't worry. It's booked. <laughs> We're going to have a big like auto welcome party. So just prepare right. yourself. <laughs> right. Um, well, have you had that experience at other tournaments? Anna, like, were you staying at other host families throughout that year? Yeah, I normally um, like reached out to people in the area that I knew or like mm. got like a connection from a connection. Like yeah. I know there's like a um, one of like the player services is like LPGA gets you like host housing, but I normally went through like my own connections because I just felt better about that. Yeah. You know, it's like it's hard enough to like meet somebody for the first time and then like spend a week in their house when you don't know what you're getting into. So at least, sure. at least like if you go through a connection that, you know, like, I think it's like gives you a little bit better, like peace of mind that it's going to be fine. <laughs> totally. Well, I felt like for, for Justin, it was super cool because he was already a fan of golf and professional golf and of women's golf, but it made him even more invested in the sport. And you mentioned before we started recording, like you love that we're doing this because we're shining light on the LPGA and, and being able to share what's going on there. What is, I mean, so you clearly noticed the discrepancy between the men's and women's tours. Um, but from but just from your perspective, especially as a first year 
professional player, what are some things that you would love to see for like the next generation of new players coming on? I mean, obviously, like everybody's talking about the pay gap and Mm -hmm. it's really striking, you know, like you hear about these guys that are like just coming out of college, playing a few tournaments, making up a couple mil. And then there's women like on the LPGA that like their entire season is like they make about as much as like the, I don't know, 45th ranked um, player in the PGA tour. And I mean, I would love for like next generation not have to worry about expenses, you know, like making the cut and like making enough money that you have, you know, a few thousand dollars to spare and not just barely covering your expenses or not even like covering your expenses, which is the case in a lot of like regular events where the purse is a little bit smaller. So I think that and just like exposure that like, you know, like showing us on like network TV or at least like not tape delayed golf channel, you know, we would like to be there live um, for people to see how good we are. You know, I think it's still not talked about enough, you know, like what just happened at CME with Jin Young Ko hitting 63 straight greens in regulation. Yeah. Like, can we talk about this a little bit more? Like, this is impressive, you know? Yeah. I saw you tweeted that today and people were like a ton of traction. I was like, look at Anna go. (laughs) I try. (laughs) But yeah, you know, like it's still like upsetting sometimes when like you hear people say like that we just like aren't as good as men. It's Mm. just because we play from shorter tees. Well, these tees aren't that short that we play from, you know, like if you put any like regular scratch golfer, like on those tees, like I really want to see how they shoot, especially with our pins. So I think there's still like a lot of misconceptions out there that hopefully, you know, with more exposure, we'll just, you know, maybe help this stir in the right way and like people realizing how good we actually are. Definitely. Well, I think that's a great point. And I said that to Abby, when we came out and watched you for three days and one hole in the rain, <laughs> um, you know, you realize how good the level of play is and how talented the players on the LPGA Tour are. And sometimes that doesn't translate onto television. And that's why I always tell people, and there's guys like Grant Boone that, you know, project this as well. Like go out and go to an event and just pick a group and walk with a group or pick a player that maybe went to your university or is from your area or for whatever reason you become a fan through a podcast and just follow that player and see how talented the players are. And that just takes your appreciation for the tour and for the players to a whole nother level, because that doesn't translate necessarily on a television or the statistics are amazing. But if you really see it for yourself, that just takes it to the next level. And that's how it is in other sports. Like you follow your team because you're passionate about your team or, you know, even in tennis, like, you're tuning in to Serena or Naomi Osaka because you're a fan of them. So I think it should go for women's golf too, is, you know, pick, pick your team, pick your people that you want to follow along. And it it is going to make it more enjoyable for you. Yeah. I feel it's kind of like a cycle, you know, like we're not shown enough. So people like a broader audience can't pick their person or whoever Mm -hmm. they want to root for. um, So they don't watch it, you know? So it's like a cycle, but you know, with like, I feel like social media has a lot of power right now with like, you know, how much we're present like on there. Um, So hopefully more people, you know, pick their player, come out and watch. Cause 
it's kind of sad to see sometimes like a really huge event happening and like the site is empty. It's like maybe like a few hundred people following the three lead groups and that's about it. When, you know, you see floods of people um, following like any PGA tour event. So I hope that will change um, in the future because we have some great venues, you know, and it's like, and I guess like some venues are really fun for spectators. Like I hope her people would just come out and watch. I also think something that people don't realize is that it's incredibly affordable to go to an LPGA event. Um, you know, the tickets are super affordable. Like parking is typically free. Like the actual like fan experience of attending a women's golf event is very good because and you can you get, get so much closer to the players. Like, you know, like, yeah, there's ropes, but there's only so many people. So you won't have to stand behind like 10 other people trying to watch. So sure. it's a whole different experience. Like one time I went to the Wyndham championship in Greensboro, just because it's like an hour away from where I live. Um, and it was like impossible to see some of the big players. I was like, you know what, like, I'll just go home. And, you know, this wasn't even fun. Like I just like picked a stand and like sat there for a little bit. But then you're like looking around at an LPJ event, like, yeah, I'm inside the robes, but <laughs> I still see how many <laughs> people deep there there is. You know, there might be like two, three people deep around the green, like at one point, but that's about it. Totally. Well, before I let you go, I would just love to hear like, what are some of your goals for 2022? Yeah, so it's going to be really exciting, you know, like just like being able to lay out my schedule ahead of time yeah. and picking the tournaments that I want to play having full status, which wasn't the luxury last year. Um, so I'm just really excited about that. And I learned so much about like myself and my game this year and kind of like seeing where the best players in the world are and like where I am compared to them. So it's going to be a really exciting off season to just like work on these things and hopefully um, come out much better next year. Totally. That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and chatting yeah, with Justin sure. and I. Um, and hopefully I get to see you at a tournament soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at ForTheLadies.net and on Instagram at ForTheLadies. That's F-O-R-E. Thank you.